Good morning, First Baptist. It is good to be back with you this morning on this Super Bowl Sunday. Who's pulling for the Chiefs tonight? Who's going to pull for the 49ers? Who's just thankful that the Chiefs aren't in it? Amen? <laughs> the Patriots. <laughs> if you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 141. Keep your finger there. And then turn to Proverbs 18, the verses will be on the screen in a minute, but Psalm 141, Proverbs 18, 21. This morning I want to preach the first part of a two-part message entitled, The Monster in Your Mouth. And to get us thinking about that, other than God Himself, what would you say is the most destructive force in the universe? I'll put a couple examples on the next slide. How about dynamite? Atomic bomb, quasar, or hypernova. How about this right here? The tongue. Listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said with regards to the power of the tongue. This is kind of a mashup between two different translations, but just listen to what he wrote. So also, the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Amen. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. A great forest can be set on fire by one tiny spark. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness and poisons every part of the body. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. Men have trained or can train every kind of animal or bird that lives in every kind of reptile and fish, but no human being can tame the tongue. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The ton tongue runs wild, a wanton killer, it is always ready to pour out its deadly poison. Thus the wisdom of Proverbs 18.21, as we'll read in just a minute, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. If you remember the last time we met, I gave you 10 predictions for your life in 2020. Do you remember number four? I said you will be dangerous. You will let your tongue out of its cage. It will cause harm. And I said Psalm 141.3 should be our prayer. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And I would encourage you to read or memorize these two verses that we're going to look at today. Remember what I told us. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Amen? We must have an action plan in place to turn that prayer into a reality and deal with this crazy monster behind our teeth, the tongue. So over the next Sundays, I'm going to give us just that, an action plan to deal with our tongues. It's so important, like I said, we're going to address this in two messages the monster in our mouth. So if you'll stand briefly with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Get my old man eyes adjusted up here. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits in Psalm 141 3 said a guard O Lord over my mouth 
keep watch over the door of my lips. The Word of God to the people of God and the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Father, as we have already sang, that, Father, a lot of times we need to acknowledge not just what you have done in our lives, but simply who you are. And, Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are a good, good Father. You woke us up, you gave us the breath of life, and you brought us here today to worship you, and you saved us from our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we give you praise and honor for that this morning. Father, I pray that you would teach each of us today. You would help us to set aside the cares of our lives, what we're going to do the rest of this day or this week, and focus upon our tongue, that, Father, we would learn the power that is in our mouths, and that everything we would do and say would be honoring and glorifying to you. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the monster in your mouth is going to be six things this week and six next week. So... The first is speak truthful words. The first step in setting a guard over the monster in your mouth and reaping life over death with our speech is to speak truthful words. Well, why should we speak truthful words? Y'all remember in Darth Vader, and he said, or in uh, Star Wars, Darth Vader says to Luke, Luke, I am your father. I mean, really what comes out of our mouth tells us really who our father is, right? Jesus said what proceeds out of the mouth comes from where? The heart. heart. So our speech is a matter of whose child we really are, who's really our father. John 8, 44. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Contrast that with Psalm 31, 5, in which God is called the God of truth. If you know, Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth. And the life, and we know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth in John 16, 13. So the devil's a liar and he speaks lies, and God is the truth and he speaks truth. Listen to this. We're no more like the devil than when we lie, and we're no more like God than when we tell the truth. If you remember in Matthew 16, you remember Jesus starts to tell the disciples that what? He's going to Jerusalem to die. And what does Peter say? He takes his old foot and he puts it in his mouth, doesn't he? And he says, Lord, may that never be. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, you can use the word Lord and yet be talking straight from the devil. And Peter was in that moment. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, he must be Lord of our lips. Eternity is at stake. If you run around and you constantly are telling lies, listen to this, Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Revelation 21, 8 says that the portion for all liars, not that we tell a lie occasionally, right, but that consistently the pattern of their life is that they lie and they lie and they lie. Their portion will be what? In the lake of fire. So eternity is at stake with regards to this. And thus what Job said in Job 27, 3-4, he said, As long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. So that's the why, the what. I would say no falsehood at all, no little white lies. Y'all ever watched A Few Good Men? It's one of my favorite movies to watch and you remember Colonel Jessup who's on the stand and he says you want answers and what does Tom Cruise's character say I want the truth 
And I think that God is our good, good Father. Jesus is our Savior who died for our sins. And the Holy Spirit who takes up residence inside of us and does not want to be grieved says, I want the truth from my children and from my people. Listen to this. The day America told the truth, 91% of us lie about trivial matters. 36% lie about important matters. 86% regularly lie to parents. Now, parents, I know y'all think those are just some sweet little angels in your household. But 86% of the time, it looks like they're probably trying to pull one over on you. 75% to friends get this. 69% to spouses. The conclusion, people no longer seem to care about lying. We just accept it. We don't really get upset about it. And guess what we do? We call it little white lies. We call it half-truths. But we must speak the truth. Well, how can we speak the truth? Ephesians 4.15 says we will speak the truth in love. And I've said this for quite some time. Listen to this. Love minus truth is hypocrisy. So if I tell someone that is living a lifestyle that is contrary to what God says will inherit the kingdom of God, and I say, I'm just going to love you, and I'm never going to tell you the truth, that's hypocritical. That's hypocritical. Truth minus love is brutality. You know some, some folks that are brutal? I mean, they just tell the truth. They're like, well, that's just how I am. But truth and love is biblical. And let me give you a very easy way to understand this. Salt. Any of you chemical nerds say, I have a degree in chemistry, so I love this stuff. If you take salt, what is it? Sodium chloride. Now, if you take the two of them, sodium is a very active element. It always is going to combine with something else. And it is very, very powerful on its own. Take a chunk of it and throw it in the river and you'll find out what will happen. Chlorine on its own, you've seen the video, YouTube videos, just watch YouTube, sodium and water, you'll be amazed. Chlorine by itself is an extremely dangerous gas. You would not want me to fill this room up with chlorine, would you? Because it would kill us. It's what gives bleach the strong order, the odor. So the two of them by themselves can be very dangerous. You put the two of them together, and today when we go for lunch, many of us are going to sprinkle it on our food, right? And so truth and love are very similar. Either one of them by themselves can be dangerous, but when we put truth and love together, that's biblical and it's the salt that Jesus Christ has called us to be. Does that make sense? So speak truthful words of Jesus is Lord of our lives and Lord of our lips. Number two is we'll speak fewer words. The second step in setting a guard over the monster in our mouth and reaping life over more than death with our speech is to speak fewer words. Y'all know the age-old debate, don't you? Who talks the most? See, I jokingly say that my wife has the spiritual gift of gab. If I cannot find where my wife is at in any given moment, I guarantee you she's talking to somebody. Or she's still trying to get out of the car. Isn't that right, Matthew? There was a restaurant in Dana Point, California, and there was a sign out front had a woman with her cut off, her head cut off. You know what the, the name of the picture was? The Quiet Woman. She couldn't talk, right? It's been famously saying women speak, speak 20,000 words. Men speak 7,000 in a day. But that actually is not true. That's an 
non-scientifically backed quota. 2007 study, women and men speak within 500 words the same. A 2004 study, girls speak a small amount more than boys. But here's what scripture says, no matter if you're man, woman, boy or girl, we should all speak less than we do. If you've got your finger in Proverbs, turn to Proverbs 10, 19. And then I'm going to jump over to Ecclesiastes 5, 2 as you're turning there. So Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is what? Prudent, wise, smart. Ecclesiastes 5, 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The smartest man, other than obviously Jesus Christ, that God ever put breath into, Solomon, told us our words should be few. Jesus in Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That ought to scare us, shouldn't it? Every careless word. You think sometimes, well, it's just a careless word. We're going to have to give an account for that. James 1, 19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. As I often say, we have how many ears? How many mouths? So we really ought to do twice as much what? Listening as we do talking. That would go a long way in our relationships, particularly in our marital relationships, if we would do twice as much listening as we do talking. Let me illustrate what God is trying to teach us. Any of you play baseball? If you play baseball and you hit a baseball with a bat, there's a sweet spot. A certain spot right on the bat where if you hit it just right and just hard enough, it's going to go. And so we don't want to speak too much and we don't want to really speak too little because either can be a problem. To talk too much risks sin. And let me give you two examples. One is anger and one is gossip. With regards to anger, do you sometimes feel like myself that I need to put myself in the corner? And put duct tape over my mouth, particularly when I'm angry. You know, think, oh, now I'm mad. I'm, you're really going to hear what, what I've got to say. What did Proverbs 10, 19 say? When words are many, transgression is not lacking. The New Living Translation says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. How about gossip? Indiana University sociologist Donna Eder found an important dynamic in gossip. The initial negative statement was not really what started gossip. The turning point was when somebody responded to that initial negative statement. In other words, started talking too much. So somebody says, well, she's a real snob. If it was just crickets after that, then it died away. But she said, well, she's a real snob. And somebody said, yeah, you're right, girl. Then it was on. Oh yeah, sometimes us guys, amen. So to talk too much is a problem. To talk too little risks sin. Let me give you two examples of that. Complaining and contending. Complaining. This man joined a monastery because he wanted to get away from society and bus busyness, and so he obviously took a vow of silence. At the end of each year, they could say two words. 
So the first year rolls around and he says, bed hard. Another year goes around of silence. Second year comes up, he can say two more words and he says, food cold. Another year goes by, year three, he comes to the head monk and he says, I quit. And the monk said, well, you might as well, all you've done is complain. <laughs> Philippians 2.14 reminds us to do everything without complaining. Sometimes we talk too much and we just complain and complain. Amen? Or what about contending? It's not a sin to speak up, only to speak too much. And so we need to speak out about certain things in society. We need to tell and be the voice of reason what God says about abortion, don't we? We need to be the voice of truth with regards to what God says about the LGBTQ lifestyle, amen? Because nobody else is going to give folks the truth. And so this isn't being argumentative, it's standing firm as Jude 3 says to contend for the faith. So find that sweet spot and sometimes that is to speak fewer words. So speak truthful words, speak fewer words. Number three is speak pure words. The third step, setting a guard over the monster in our mouth and reaping life more than death with our speech is to speak pure words. And let me ask you a, a very uh, probing question. Some of us in here may be on a seafood diet. You know what that is? That's what I jokingly tell some of my patients. A seafood diet. You seafood, you eat it, right? But some of us may be obsessive. How many of you, of you obsessively track the grams of fat or sugar that goes into your body? How many of you watch the number of calories that you consume? Do you avoid refined sugar and say, well, we got to get agave or, or honey? Do you limit your caffeine? Do you only eat dolphin-safe tuna? Are you what's called a locavore, which is you eat food grown locally? Are you a vegetarian? I'm uh, now in that camp to some degree. Never thought I would be, but that's what happens when you get old, right? Do you eat only free-range chicken? That's what I jokingly say. That's why I like to deer hunt, because it's free-range and organic, right? Um, do you shun high fructose corn syrup? Do you use sea salt instead of table salt? Beef that's not got steroids in it. Do you drink bottled water from the island of Fiji? Don't get me wrong. As a doctor, one of the number one things that I tell people all day long is what? Eat right. If you want to not experience the ravages of diseases and you want to live longer, eat Right, but the really bad news, especially for us health nuts, is we can all do all those things and guess what? Still going to die. Still going to die. Their value is limited. They may make you a little healthier and they'll definitely make you a lot poorer. Amen. But their value is temporary. They can't soul you spiritually. They're not going to make you any less pleasing to God. Now compare that to not just what goes into your mouth, but do you control what comes out of your mouth? And do you only do that when the pastor or certain folks are around? I'll give you a, a personal illustration of that. I was taking my deer that I had uh, harvested to a processor a couple years ago, and I sat down, and he had a guy in front of me, and I sat out on the steps there and waited on him to get done. And this guy, man, he's going to town, his mouth, whew, it was rough. Every other word that was coming out of there. So he finally gets done, and 
JD the processor, he turns and he goes, Doc, what can I do for you? What you got today? And the guy goes, Whoa, are you Dr. Cook? I'm like, yeah, he's like, and you're a preacher too. Why didn't you tell me that was you? I didn't recognize you. And you came on, I'm thinking, don't look to your left or to your right and worry about whether I'm hearing what you're saying. How about look up and think about what the Lord thinks of what you're saying. Listen to what Jesus repeatedly taught. I'll give you a couple of verses. Luke 6, 45. Luke 6, 45, Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And you remember the Pharisees were getting all over Jesus. Why? Because he didn't wash hands like they thought he should because that's what tradition said to do, not what scripture said to do. Which I often say we turn that into this. We make a lot of things in the church, it may be biblical, but it ain't Baptist, and so we ain't going to do it. Or it's Baptist, and it ain't biblical, but we're going to do it. You remember what Jesus told them when they are saying, well, you don't even wash with your hands before you eat. And he says, do you think that doing that, going inside, defiles you? But what comes out of your mouth is what defiles you. Can I tell you, my wife can tell you because she knew me before I was saved and after I was saved. In fact, today is her birthday. And I would say out of, of any human being on the planet other than Jesus Christ that could be responsible for my own salvation, it's her. And she can tell you the stark contrast between my mouth before Jesus Christ came into my life and afterwards. And almost like a light switch, when Jesus came into my life, my mouth changed. Dr. Adrian Rogers says, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. If you got Jesus in the well, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? Jesus. Psalm 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words. Proverbs 8, 13, perverted speech I hate. May Psalm 19.14 be our daily prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, he'll be Lord of our lips and we'll speak pure words. Number four is we'll speak common words. So the fourth step in setting a guard over the monster in our mouth is to speak common words. Speaking to my wife, one of the things she loves the most in life is when I tell her, calm down. <laughs> That's sarcasm if y'all didn't get it. But how many of you would agree that America needs a heaping dose of calm down, calming words? Just go look at some of our Facebook posts. Scripture's clear that what you sow, you will reap. Amen? And America is sowing a harvest of angry words in our homes. The number one cause of homicides, personal conflict. It's not gang violence. Roadways. Old sin, new word, road rage was put into the English language as a new word in 1997. Social media, in 2019 we had the chicken sandwich Twitter war. 
I've said, no matter what you think of him, somebody needs to calm down the Twitter of our president, amen? Need to calm it down of a lot of folks. And in church, you know it's a bad business meeting when the Dateline crew is there to film it. Somebody's pick ends up on a milk carton. They hand out cans of mace and the neighbors hear about it on the police scanner, amen? We need to keep calm. Y'all know the old kid phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true, is it? Ambrose Beers said, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you'll ever regret. Thus the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And so ask yourself, do my words stir up, simmer down, heat up, or cool down? Do I speak calming words? There's a very interesting phrase tucked in Proverbs 25, 15 that talks about how powerful calming words can be. Listen to this. It says, a soft tongue will break a bone. Gentle words Calming words are very powerful. So speak truthful words, fewer words, pure words, common words. Number five is speak cheerful words. The fifth step in setting a guard over the monster in our mouth is to speak cheerful words. Y'all ever seen a picture of Jesus? I'm sure you have. Have you ever seen one of them laughing? I don't think I've ever seen one of them laughing. Wonder why not? You say, well, he was here for very serious reasons which he was. No time to play around. Do you really buy such a gloomy assessment? I don't. Because if we're going to say anything about Jesus, he was 100% God and 100% human. Amen? 100% God, Psalm 2-4 says that God sits in the heavens and laughs. I've been to Africa, I've been to Ecuador, but when we go to Africa... We often go on safari, and let me tell you, there are some funny-looking creatures. <laughs> you ever been to a zoo? You don't think God was sitting there making these animals and going, this is a riot. They are going to laugh their socks off when they see this funny-looking wildebeest. The joke in Africa is that the wildebeest, basically God just took all the leftovers of all the other animals, poof, put it together, and there you got a wildebeest just to make us laugh. As 100% God, you think Jesus never laughed. I don't think so. As 100% human, laughter is a universal human emotion, isn't it? In the Gospels, the disciples nicknamed James and John, sons of thunder. You know how they got that? Because they wanted to call down fire and brimstone on a Samaritan village. Jesus said, calm down, fellas. It's the sons of thunder. You don't think he kind of snickered a little bit when he said, Peter, this guy who's going to deny me three times, your name is Rock. Simon, changing your name. The Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Worry about the log in your own eye. That's funny, isn't it? It's humor. You don't think when Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5, the Sermon on the Mount, that the hypocrites love to pray in the synagogue and on the street corner, you didn't think there was probably a little bit of laughter 
about that or when he told the Pharisees, y'all strain out a gnat and swallow a camel? Jesus is 100% human, never crack a smile? I don't think so. So to those of us who would be 100% serious, 100% of the time, Scripture speaks. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says there is a time to laugh. Job 8.21 says he will yet fill your mouth with laughter. Proverbs 17.22, my favorite with regards to this, a joyful heart is good medicine. And one of my goals in the office with each and every patient is to make them laugh. Some way, somehow. Those of us who be 100% serious, 100% of the time, science affirms scripture. 11 scientific benefits of laughter. It lowers your blood pressure, it lowers your anxiety, it boosts your immune system, it's like natural Prozac, it makes you less depressed, it increases your heart and lung function, lowers your stress hormones, lowers pain, and it burns calories. How many of us don't need to burn some calories? So speak humorous words. The final thing is speak evangelistic words. If we're going to Set a guard over the monster in our mouth, speak evangelistic words. One of the great questions and great debates of every age is this. What happens to the person in the village in Uganda that never hears about Jesus? They go to heaven. They go to hell. Dr. Spurgeon in The Soul Winner, he said, Will the heathen be saved if we don't send the gospel? Are we saved if we don't send the gospel? R.A. Torrey, who was a believed pastor one time at Bellevue, said, I'd like to ask what right any man or woman has to call himself, herself, a follower of Jesus Christ if they aren't a soul winner. Dr. Adrian Rogers, listen to this. This is what he said. No matter how faithfully you attend church, no matter how generously you give, how circumspectly you walk, how eloquently I could teach. How beautifully this young lady earlier sang. If you are endearing to bring people to Jesus Christ, you are not right with God. Yet 95% of Christians have never won a soul to Christ. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise. You see, what I think we've got to start doing, brothers and sisters, in 2020 in Southern Baptist circles is we've got to stop using biblical words in an unbiblical manner. And let me give you a couple of illustrations. Evangelism and mission is not the pastor's, the deacon's, or the paid staff job. It is your job, and it is my job. Evangelism and missions is not this. Will they... The lost folk over here in Somerville, they all know where our church is at and they can just come find it. What did Jesus say? Go. In fact, it's as you are going throughout your entire life, make disciples. It's not them come, it's us go. Evangelism and missions is not embarrassed believers. Afraid to speak up, it's that we're not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And evangelism and missions is not a program in our church. It's an individual lifestyle. And I would even say this, it's not a cookie cutter. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to do the Roman road. It is this. You sit down with the person like I told you 
the man I think I uh, mentioned last week that I talked to in the office and I could just tell he was over and over going, man, I'm just so nervous. Man, I'm just so nervous. Man, I'm just so nervous. That doesn't need a cookie cutter. Let me go down Roman Road and be sure I check off my little box. That is this. Mr. Jones, why are you so nervous? I'm sensing that you're afraid of dying. Let me tell you something I've heard that terrifies me. What's that? Now I got his attention. He wants to hear what I have to say. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. And he says, and it wouldn't be good, Doc. Now you're ready to roll. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. I love when we say in our churches, hey, missionary such and such is coming tonight. No, we're all missionaries. And then you tell that guy, outside of Jesus Christ, you are going to die in your sins. You don't have to be eloquent. What did Jesus say? Don't even worry in that moment what to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to give you what to say. It ain't Buffy Cook speaking anyway. It's the Holy Spirit. And that man got saved in that room, I guarantee you. If I've ever seen anybody get saved. So just speak it. Casual conversation. But you know what days you should speak it? Every day that ends in why. That's what. 24, 7, 365, Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That means if your dog or cat will even listen, tell them. One translation says to everyone, everywhere. Does that mean in the grocery store if the Holy Spirit leads you? Absolutely. But what it is, it's a command. It ain't optional. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, we speak evangelistic words. Are we really saved if we don't? In closing... There's an old story the Jewish rabbis tell. As the story goes, one day a rabbi asked his servant to go and buy some good food for him in the market. Now if you sent somebody out to buy you some good food, start thinking. Some filet mignon, maybe some ribs, some chocolate cake. So he comes home and you know what he's got him? A tongue. Any of you ever eat a tongue? I've eaten a lot of things. I don't plan on eating no tongue. So he brings him a tongue. The next day he says, all right, now I want you to go to the market and I want you to buy me some bad food. Start thinking, hmm, some Brussels sprouts, some broccoli, whatever it may be that you don't like, carrot cake, I don't know. You know what he brings him back? A tongue. I can say, amen, that's some bad food, right? If, you bring, if I say, go get me some bad food, you did at least accomplish your purpose. You brought me some bad food because I'm not going to eat it. So he asked him, the rabbi asked him, why did you bring me a tongue on both occasions? Listen to what he said. He said, good comes from it and bad comes from it. When the tongue is good, there is nothing better. When the tongue is bad, there is nothing worse. We would do well to take that to heart, brothers and sisters. When the tongue is good, there's nothing better. When I speak affirming words to my wife, there's nothing better. That's her love language. When the tongue is bad, and I speak bad words to her, as I joke, we say, time to strap in for the crazy cycle. We're about to spin out of control. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And so pray, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door 
of my lips. And we've got to put that prayer into action and we can do it. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, He'll be Lord of our lips. We can do it by speaking truthful words, fewer words, pure words, common words, humorous words, and evangelistic words. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this day. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You that we can hold a copy of Your Bible and Your revelation to us in our hands. And we can open it today. And Father, we can say when we leave here, that we didn't hear from Buffy Cook, but we heard from God Himself. And so thank you, Father, for that today. I pray that each and every one of us would understand the power of the tongue, that death and life are in its grasp. Father, I pray that we would pray, we would memorize Your Word, we would meditate and chew on it all week, Psalm 141.3, to set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, and teach us how we can do that by speaking truthful, fewer, pure, calm, and humorous, and evangelistic words. As we come now to this time of invitation, Father, I pray you would stir hearts. Father, not for show, but for Father us to come and do business with you and deepen our relationship and our fellowship with you. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name that I pray. Amen. So the invitation this morning is actually threefold. I'll explain that. It's usually saved and lost, but saved folks. You know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 15, 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And that's what defiles us. I'm just going to be honest. Some of us, probably all of us, truth be told, this altar could be entirely full this morning with each and every one of us. Because some of us need to come down and actually lay our tongue on the altar this morning. Before the Lord. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never accepted His gift of eternal life, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36-37, The day of judgment you will give account. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And all Jesus is going to ask you, I've jokingly said, there's only one question on the final exam of life. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you say yes to Him? And if you say yes, this is what you'll hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And if you say no to him, you only have this to hear. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And so come do that this morning. The third aspect of the invitation is this. Some of us need to quit playing around. Playing church, playing the Christian life. Because although I said in my case the first thing that changed was my lips, it may not necessarily be what's the first thing that changes in your life when you come to know Jesus. But if you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot have the same speech that you did before you were saved. Amen? And so the Bible regularly encourages us to examine yourselves. Jesus, the great physician, knew the importance of a checkup. Any of you know the importance of a physical checkup? We need to spiritually check ourselves and say, based just on my mouth, do I really have Jesus in my heart? Or have I just been playing around with this whole church 
in Christian things. So as we stand this morning and sing and have a time of invitation, if you know the Lord and you want to come to the altar, it's open. If you want me to pray with you something about the tongue, I'll be happy to do that. If you don't know Jesus, please come receive Him. Don't leave here without knowing Him today. And if you've just been playing around and God through this, through the Holy Spirit's convicted you, you really need to come accept Jesus as your Savior this morning. Come do that as we stand and sing. Thank you.